morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for this alumni conversation. We have Aaron Friedman here. Aaron is a 2020 graduate of the MBOE program, and he is a production manager at Jenny's Ice Cream. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And could you just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Jenny's? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've been in Columbus for about six years now. Uh, I was living in Philadelphia before that, and I was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, for Jenny Splendid Ice Cream, I uh, basically get production going for all the inclusions and bases that are uh, part of the foundation of the, what eventually becomes the final product that you see in stores or at the scoop shops. Um, so bases and inclusions essentially are things that the company or Jenny wants to keep within house because we're the only ones that she trusts to do it or it are, uh, we produce things that we're the only ones capable of producing it. So it's a pretty special job. And how long have you been there? I've been there for two months now. Okay, great. So um, I guess in your opinion, what do you think operational excellence and lean processes have been have been noticed in those in the food industry? Why do you think that that people are now thinking, oh, well, maybe this is helpful or, you know, and not just in manufacturing, food manufacturing, but like before you before you moved to Jenny's, you were at Romeo's Pizza. So you were in a shop. So can you explain why you think people are noticing that that, you know, lean and OPEX can also be used in that type of industry? as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's been huge opportunity for it this entire time, but I think that uh, there's very much people stuck in their ways of this is how it's always been. This is how we do it. This is how, you know, our competitors do it. So we're going to continue to replicate the same thing. Uh, but I think the reality is, is that you know, anybody you talk to in the restaurant industry from frontline people all the way to general managers and district managers, they all have this enormous job uh, that they have to get accomplished and they are having, they're struggling with the, the quantity that happens. I mean, we're talking about food safety and state uh, or local uh, food inspections and quality and customer concerns. And, you know, as, as we, as, as the podcast is titled, there has to be a better way. There is a better way. And I think people are, uh, their eyes are being opened to being able to say yes to some other solutions, to saying yes to some lean processes, to saying yes to standardization and standardized work. Um, that has not always been the case in, in, in the restaurant industry. Well, yeah, I can understand that. It's, it's sometimes it's not the case in, in any industry, even if they've already, you know, started on their OPEX and lean journey. So before you started an MBOE, did you have any knowledge about OPEX and lean and, and, you know, how to make processes better and looking at the data? Like, what did you, you know, what, what did you come into the program? What knowledge did you come into the program with? Sure. Um, the answer is I was pretty much a blank slate, you know, operation excellence to me was a word that people used to describe something that was at the, at the time I was uh, applying that was intangible uh, as far as, um, lean. Uh, I had to really educate myself on what it meant to get a lean sigma, uh, lean six sigma black belt. Um, I was very interested in what it was, and so like I, I had the most basic knowledge of it uh, when I was applying. So I, yeah, I, I would say I was pretty much at ground zero when I applied. 
Good to know because the people that you know are interested, potentially interested in this in this program, you know, our students come in with all different levels. So like mm -hmm. yes, you know, green belt, no black belt, just kind of trying to understand what lean and opex is. There's some people in the program that already have their black belts and are just trying to further their education. So there's room for anybody at any at any level in MBOE, right? I mean, and I think that's your experience as well. As you take away from what you learn, everyone learns the same thing, but we're all at different levels and you're really graded based on your own progress from where you started to where you end in the program. So what was it about MBOE then that made you be curious and decide to just move forward with applying? Sure. So um, I think my story is pretty funny because um, for when I moved to Columbus, I was thinking about getting an MBA. MBA. I uh, uh, I live in Westerville, so I'm very close to Otterbein College, and you know, uh, I saw things, and you know, there was one of those. It was one of those parts where it was just like, well, you know, maybe one day I'll get an MBA, and then uh, a couple years down the road, uh, my wife's been working at OSU Wexner, so. Um, you know, I, I saw a banner on the side of a piece of uh, internet clickbait and it had, you know, Fisher's MBOE program on the side of it. I clicked it and I decided, I, I read the description and I decided huh, this really fits a lot of the values of what I want to be as a person who leads and who manages other people. Like this fits my core values. Uh, and then uh, I was driving back to Columbus with my wife after dropping my kids off to my uh my parents and we talked about it on the whole car ride home and she dug deeper into it and we you know decided it was the right decision for me to apply and so that's how i got that's how i got there well that's good yeah everybody comes in a different way so we're glad that, that marketing is working <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you clicked on that and said hey let's look at this and it also helped that you had your wife you know working at osu too to, to, to kind of look into it as well but so that's a good point you brought up you know this is the kind you know mbe was really gave you the foundation or really was the kind of you know taught you the things about being the kind of leader you wanted to be so how has that helped you? What did you, you know, how does it affect you lead a team? And especially right now, like you and I were talking previous to this, or at least communicating via email, you know, Jenny's had their whole Dolly Parton ice cream process like last week. And was it last week or the week before that, you know, so much hype about ordering and you could get two pints and you could do it online. There was a certain time that you had to log in and then there was issues. Right. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, essentially the whole thing went kaput. So, <laughs> but then how did you lead your team though? How did you, you know, this is what you don't want to happen. So it wasn't a huge success, but there's a success in the end. Like, how did you lead that your team? How did you make them feel like, okay, you know, this is what we can do. Let's look at the problem. Why did this happen? Like, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just tell us, like how you become a better leader. And, and especially with this one, it, instance that many people have experienced. Yeah, absolutely. So how did MBOE help me become a better leader? I think what it did is it helped me 
codify what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's not just the work and it's not just the people. It's how do I align my work to be working for my people? How do I align my work so that I am forwarding the goals of, of the role of my job or for my company as well? Um, so I think having the language to kind of speak to that and then how to put it into action was really important for me because it, it, it was probably one of the things that I hadn't attached quite yet, right? I, I, I conceptually understood it, right? Like I understood I had to be good to my people. I understood I had to be good at my job, but I didn't know how to like become excellent at streamlining all of that together. And then um, in the particular uh, situation with uh, the strawberry pretzel pie special flavor that we did with Dolly Parton, um, I am still in the middle of leading my team uh, through our part of that. So in the strawberry pretzel pie ice cream, there is a gluten-free pretzel streusel, which is the inclusion that I am responsible for making sure that we produce. Um, in that first pint run, um, we uh, it was produced prior to me getting there. But then as almost uh, as kind of the understanding of what the demand was um it was ordered from the top that we were going to do a second run and we wanted to make that run as quickly as possible and so we are very much trying to work ourselves uh to make the purchase order for our co-packer so that they can produce the ice cream so we're making the pretzel gravel as of tuesday is when we started and wow. so uh, and we have till the end of next week to get i believe it's 1900 pounds of it done and it's a very much by hand process. We are uh, baking it, we are um, tossing it, we are crushing it, we are sifting it all by hand pretty much. Um, there are some mechanical parts to this operation. Um, with that said, um, the question is, is how am I leading them through it, right? How do I keep them motivated to do it? It's labor intensive, um, but I've always predicated myself on the idea that I enjoy being in an industry that somehow promotes happiness. And if we can promote happiness, the hard work that we do is, is, is good. Um, and so uh, I've inspired, or I've tried to inspire my team to really understand, like, this is something that was really in demand. People really wanted it. We've got to do a good job at it. And we've got to make this PO uh, to get it out. Um, and then MBO has also helped me in the sense of kind of inspiring the people you know, my frontline workers, how do we make our job better? How do we make our job um, faster, more efficient, less strenuous? How do we uh, take away those pain points? And it's really empowered them with this ability to say, okay, I'd like to try to make this change. What do we need to do to implement it? And then me being there to support them with it. So we're going to be trying like four different things uh, come Monday. Um, in a scientific manner, of course, um, to see which one might be the one that helps further us down the line. Um, so uh, it, it's it's really, really exciting right now. That's awesome. So you're going to experiment on yes. these ideas. Here you gave, so you came in new into this role and, you know, um, try to give your employees a voice of, hey, you're the ones doing the work. You're the frontline workers. How do you, you know, what are your suggestions? How do you think that you can make this process better? 
I mean, you have to talk to the people who do the work and that's good. You give them a voice, they feel like they have ownership, they're happier that way. So how many people do you have producing this amount in such a short period of time? Sure. So I'm actually understaffed right now because uh, I had somebody put in a notice and I had somebody that is out because of illness. Um, so uh, we had to definitely do uh, more with less this past week. And then hopefully next week we get one of our people back. So we'll, we'll have more hands on deck. But um, yeah, uh, it's helped us be able to do. I mean, we were able to do in two days. Uh, I'm so sorry. We did in three days out of the eight that we had to get this done. We got a third of everything done. So being understaffed, I feel like that that's actually a pretty good utilization of our people. Um, and so once we get one more, I think it's going to make it a lot easier to hit what we need to hit uh, for the end of the week goal next week. That's great. So do you have do you have some visual boards there? Do you have like metrics or goals that you need to to hit every, every day, every week? Do you have you incorporated huddles or anything like that? Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. So. I have incorporated, so we use something called a monitoring form, which is essentially our process accountability. So we're basically saying where, what ingredients, where did those ingredients come from? What are the lock codes? What are the LTNs? Um, how much do we use? So that we can trace anything back in the case of, obviously, and we don't foresee this, but in the case of a recall, we can trace back any uh, food. Um, this was me really trying to introduce Demaic to the team. So I took a really small thing that I knew we needed to improve and I started implementing uh, uh, a control chart about it to show what we need to do. And then we actually talked about what are the things that you struggle with and what are the things um, that make us inaccurate on those forms. So so the control charts, how many, um, it's very much like the uh, tax, form uh, question we have when we learned about uh, control charts, um, how many errors are on the monitoring form per day uh, or rather perform. And, you know, we have an average, we have a baseline, we have the control chart sitting up in our room and, uh, you know, we get to see day by day, whether or not we're getting closer to what we, our goal and whether or not we're the, uh, the changes that we've initiated are really affecting. And if they're not, we're going to move on to the next change uh, until we get this where we want it to go. Um, we had, there was already a structure of daily huddles. So um, the challenge for me was really trying to um, align my huddle with my director, with the huddle that the frontline has. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, tier one, tier two and frontline um, huddle boards, you know, my my challenge right now is to try to create that alignment between the three that i have you know me and my right hand man in the kitchen me in the front line or them and their staff and then me with the director above me um you know we have different there's different kpis i already stumbled into but we're we're really trying to create and my director has been great at supporting me in this um she has said look these are the high level kpis i need I'm like, cool, that's great. But we only talk about them once a month. We're very reactive to this. We need to boil, we need to boil this down somehow so that the front line understands the KPI as well. So these things are um, are we producing at 100 percent of what we schedule? Are we um, attaining 
uh, full shipments and are our shipments leaving on time? Are we making our POs? So, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely possible to do, but, um, you know, change, I've had to be very careful with how I implement change because these are some people that, you know, they, they kind of have some stuck in their ways, um, tendencies to them, but in the end, like they love the improvements. And so they, they just want to continue with that. So, um, that's that's how I've, I've I've used huddle boards and KPIs and standardized work and leader standard work to get me where I want to go and keep going. That's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, most people have that issue with change. You know, people do things a certain way, and you know, they've not heard about all these you know fancy words and and you know these these things that you're trying to talk about. Well, really, when you just bait, you know just take it down to a, a level where people can understand, you know, really basic level is we're just trying to improve your life, your job, the process, you know, make people happy, the clients happy, make our, our employees happy. And, and for those of you that don't know, we would, what um, Aaron was talking about, DMAIC is means define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And so really that's what we teach you in the program because you have to define the problem. You have to have some data, be, you know, to, you have to measure where's your gap, where do you need to be? And then you have to have data because you need to make decisions with data-driven decisions, right? Based on where you are and where you need to go. And then you're continuously, you know, you're analyzing, you're improving, and then you're in control. And so what Aaron's doing is experimenting. And so I guess another question I have, Aaron, is so some of your supplies, have you noticed, you know, everything, everybody's been talking about supply chain issues because of the pandemic. And so have you noticed, uh, um, you know, an issue with your supply chain, with your ingredients or, or anything like that, that prevents you from making certain, you know, flavors or something right now. Sure. So absolutely. We have run into different supply chain issues and, you know, obviously we're not in full control of those issues, but at the same time, the question is, is can I manage around what I'm doing? So is, if, if the process means that I just need to order, you know, 14 days more, than um, I used to, I'm going to make that adjustment. We're gonna start, you know, uh, doing our inventory and, and, and scheduling out and understanding, okay, I need this and I need to order this now because if I don't have it here today um, or if I don't have it in 21 days, I'm gonna have a real problem in being able to make production. But uh, overall, you know, I don't think that we are overly impacted any more than anybody else is right now with supply chain issues. Um, if anything, um, some of the things that we are really struggling with are some of the things that I think everybody's struggling with, like some PPE, you know, we provided for our staff, um, you know, so whether it's the KN95 masks, um, which I, I have been put on hold for now for a little bit, um, you know, where that's the kind of the stuff that help protect our, our staff um, has been the stuff that, that has been a little bit more of a challenge more than it is than actual production materials. That makes sense. And I think that's uh, for a lot of people too. So, so really basically it's adjusting your lead times, you know, understanding what the new lead times are for everything and then, and then getting that done sooner. And so that's, I think everybody's experiencing that even in just like personal life, you know, if they're already, like I ordered a refrigerator, you know, it's take, you know, I, I'm not finally getting it next uh, on Monday, but you know, it's been ordered for months, you know, and everybody's experiencing those things or just, 
medications or anything that you need, like the bleed times are taking longer. So you need to adjust, you know, pivot and adjust what you normally did and, and, and yep. make those a little sooner. So can you tell us a little bit about when you went through MBUE, as I stated in the beginning, you worked at Romeo's Pizza. Can you talk about your capstone project and what problem you solved while you were at Romeo's? Yeah, absolutely. So capstone project, uh, it was, it was, so the big whale idea was that we were being extremely inaccurate at telling our guests when we were going to have their pizza ready, whether it was them picking it up or delivery, you know, we, we, we had a very strong voice of the customer issue of they're not mad that uh, we couldn't get them their pizza for, let's say, 70 or 80 minutes. They're mad that they were told 45 minutes and it took us 60, right? So it, the gap really was we needed to have a more efficient way of predicting when their food would be ready. Um, not so much just be faster, right? Because that's what the voice of the customer explained to us. And so what we did is we devised a couple of different ways uh, after understanding our process of what are the indicators that are going to uh, tell us when, hey, this is when we need to up times, this is when we need to uh, proactively say, hey, it's going to take this long for your pizza. Um, and so eventually what we ended up doing was we were able to, after analyzing the data, you could really predict at what time on any given day you were going to see a spike and an arc um, for when the time should go up. Um, and so what we did is, is we programmed the POS system to automatically send that out um, to any of the people that ordered online. And then after they did that, it um, prompted itself on the screen for people that called in so that the person taking the order over the phone now had the updated time as well. And so we drastically reduced, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we went from being inaccurate with, uh, so we then to, sorry, I'm gonna back up a little bit. So one of the things that we did is with, to, to take the big whale, we focused solely on delivery at one particular store. And so once we implemented that, that store went from, made a drastic reduction from something like 60% lates on a Friday night. Um, and I think my standard was kind of saying Thursday night, we do this fairly well. It was at 17%. I think we ended up getting it down to like 4% of wow. inaccurate times. And so my P value is incredibly small and I was very proud of that. And so, yeah, and then we were able to, that was easy to make uh, uh, a as a continuous improvement because all we have to do is check the data, make sure it's still within the, tolerances of what our customers expect and then just update it as we need to go. So that data then also enabled you to probably schedule your employees accurately mm -hmm. as well. Right? So delivery and people in-house making the pizzas and 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 you know things like that. So if you know what your demand's going to be, you know how many people need to be just you know accurately get that demand out. So yep. that's cool. So you, I'm, I'm sure you were able to transfer some of that knowledge to what you're doing at Jenny's as well, right? As far as, you know, make, meeting the demand. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of the tools were actually provided for me at Jenny's. So the real question is, is how am I going to tweak them, improve them? Um, but I would say that the biggest thing, and I, I shared this, I, I know that this is shared with a number of the people from our cohort, the biggest thing for me is, is that I am walking into a situation where I literally have the opportunity to ask every single question I want to ask 
and nobody's going to look at me weird because yeah, I, I don't know what we do. I don't know anything. So I'm going to ask every single question. So uh, I think, I think the people in my office have gotten used to me saying and prefacing my questions as I'm going to ask this because I'm the idiot in the room, but what, how does this work? Or I don't understand why, why this equipment piece is not working and I can't meet production. I don't understand, you know, how an electrical grid, we use very high powered machines. Um, you know, I don't understand why we can't make this thing work. Explain this to me. And, and, you know, everybody's very, very helpful. <laughs> Basically it's like you're going on a Gemba visit you know, every day. <laughs> every day. You know, Gemma visit for those that don't that you know don't know what that means. It means you're going to see how the work is done. You go in, you ask questions. It's somebody that basically has a new set of eyes or a different set of eyes, has not been doing the job the same way for years or months or whatever the case may be. So you go in, you're asking questions, you're asking why things are done a certain way to understand the process. And that's what you're basically referring to is you're you're asking because you don't know. And you can't understand a process unless you understand why it's why things are happening the way they're happening, you know, and that's why you really speak to the frontline workers as well, because they can tell you why they do it, you know, and giving them a voice allows them to to share their ideas because they're the ones that know they're doing the work. So that's great. So, Aaron, if you could say that, you know, there's one specific or foundational concept that you learned in MBOE, what would that be? I, I only get to choose one. Um, I would say, I would say as of late, the thing that I've been using the most, because I think it's helping me gain buy-in from people that are, uh, that I report to or that are lateral to me, um, would be process mapping. I think um, whether it's just a regular process map or a swim lane map, VSM, a SIPOC, um, I think what it's really done is challenged people to, un to share what they do. Um, so I work, so I, I, I report to a director, but, um, with me, I have three other managers, um, that, that essentially have their own, you know, we're not going to like this word, but essentially they have their own silos, right? So I have sanitation productions, me maintenance, and then quality assurance and food safety. Um, those in the building have always been very siloed um, processes that though there is uh, overlap on the Venn diagram of how one affects the other, one never really understood the goals of the other or understood the process fully of the other. They just understood, oh, when sanitation does this, it affects maintenance. Or when QA does this, that means sanitation has to work this much harder. Or when production does, does this and they break something, maintenance has to work harder. That was the understanding of how we do things. Now, now that we've gotten into collaborative process mapping to uncover why certain things have gone wrong, there's really always in every single one of those meetings, there's an aha moment where sanitation understands something that they didn't understand before about QA or maintenance understands something different about um, production that they didn't know. And now the whole team also knows about it. Like I joked that, um, you know, I understood something because I had that Gemba or that humble inquiry conversation with maintenance, but the rest of the building didn't have that conversation. And so 60% of the people that are in charge didn't 
have that aha moment until we did it collaboratively and did it in a process map. And um, we, we got, we got to understand each other's roles a little bit better. And so breaking down that siloing has been wonderful. And that's, I credit that to us working together in process mapping. Right. Yeah, because then everybody, like you said, everybody can understand what others are doing, right? When you say, well, we're not doing here, they're not doing, or I understand why, well, then they can see it. They can see it. You work together, you can understand the process. And it just helps people, um, you know, just give credit to the other the other departments. And you're right, it, so many places people are siloed. And it's just because that's the thing that they're working in. And But when you can understand the process of the other people on your complete team, you know, everybody across the board, it does it make it more helpful, right? People can appreciate the work that others are doing. And I, until they see it, I don't know if they can always do that, you know? So that's great. So what advice, if, if you wanted to, if somebody came to you and said, you know what, Aaron, I'm thinking about MBOE, what advice would you give somebody that's just really researching the program, thinking about the program, trying to get more information? What would you tell them? Sure. Um, so what I really want to say is just do it um, because it's worth it and it's valuable. But I think the more wise answer is make sure that this is what you want to do. Make sure that you want to be this person, that you want to bear this responsibility of leadership and management, that you want to bear the responsibility of being an MBOE alum, that you want to carry change management on in either your current organization or for a new organization because you're very much going to probably be that first person through the wall you're going to be that person that everybody's gonna go what is this guy doing why are they doing it this way what is he or she you know you know trying to make us change for um you want to really have an understanding of who and what you are and why you you want to pursue this. Um, and then the other part of it is, is that I would just say it's it's absolutely worth it. I don't know if you're keeping any data, data on it, uh, Lori, but I mean, I know the 2020 cohort has had a, a, what seems like a staggering number of uh, promotions mm -hmm. and job changes and better job opportunities than I would have ever imagined. And I would I would honestly say that my confidence to start applying to other jobs and move from Romeo's Pizza to Jenny's Ice Cream was influenced by uh, the cohort and you know their successes. And I thought, look, we all went to the same class. Why can't it be me? And you know, I really pushed on it, and it, it was amazing. And then, lastly, you know, our our cohort is very tight. We're still texting. We're still. Um, doing things, people are still going out, you know, in kind of small groups, even though it's COVID. Um, that cohort, I, I can't imagine that it's ever going to fall apart. I can't imagine that my team from my cohort is ever going to fall apart. Uh, we, yeah, it's it's pretty special what you end up having and what you end up leaving with. So it's it's worth it. Right, well, yeah, you're right. I think that um, the cohorts get very close to you because you're all working on this together. You're learning from each other. You know, you're going through the struggles and successes and, and all that together and and they get very tight. But then you have this whole group of people that you can reach out to, MBOE alumni in general, from the last 13 cohorts, you know, that that um, 
if, if you have, you know, there's an MBOE LinkedIn page. And so if you ever have, working on a project, you can post that and somebody else has done this and they can help you. But, you know, you're right. So the, the cohort that, that Aaron graduated um, from, which was last December, the 2020 cohort, um, they call themselves the COVID cohort because they got to be in session three times and then everything was online all the way to graduation. Um, there's 36 people in that cohort, and I believe it's 23 of the 36 have been have had job changes or promotions or you know just have moved on to different things, and that's uncalled for. We have not had that in the past. You know, we've had a good percentage of people, as an average, say 85% of our employee of our students um, get promoted or take job changes, whatever, but not so many at one time in one cohort especially at graduation time in a, in a time, you know, in a year that was unlike any that we've ever seen, right? In a year where people didn't know if they were having job, if they were going to keep their jobs. It's just such so much uncertainty that this program has allowed people to make their lives better, you know, and been able to step outside of their comfort zone and, and go and do great things um, other places. So yeah, this, it, it's amazing. That could be any cohort, not just the COVID cohort, you know, but it, it, it is shocking how many of you changed jobs and had different, you know, different opportunities just in that, in that one year's time, when at the very beginning, it looked a little, you know, March of last year, it was a little bleak for people, right? So, yep. and you guys, and, and this cohort, you struggled a lot because you're working on this capstone problem, you're working on this project, and so many people had to stop what they were doing and shift to something else or, you know, and just in the middle of the program. And that's, you know, you never want that to happen, but you guys were, were great about it. No, you know, there was some leniency there because of it, but you know, it's just a lot of, a lot of challenges you guys had. And, and you just, it's amazing how you came out on that other end. And we're so proud of this cohort, but yeah. So thank you. I appreciate you taking the time um, to, to talk with us today for this alumni conversation. And, and, you know, I'm sure, Aaron, if anybody has any questions or would like to reach out to you, I, you know, they can reach me. I'll give them your contact information. And, you know, it's always great to speak with me and, um, you know, but, and I am alumni of the program, but, you know, to hear from somebody else that just went through it, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis is, is pretty inspiring as well. So, I mean, my job is to sell the program to you, but your job is not, right? So... Hearing from somebody uh, uh, like me is, is probably is, is good too. So. That that might be true. I I, I do sell the program. <laughs> That's good. Keep selling. Send somebody next year. I, I I hope so. You know, I just it's yeah. I it it was a it was a difficult challenge that was a lot of fun in the end. And uh, yeah, I I'm really I'm really happy. I ended up doing it. So. Thank you so much. We're glad. That's what we want. We want people to, to find some value in the year that you with us. So, all right, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. And yep. you know, if you want any more information, contact me or I can give you information. You can contact Aaron directly. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lori. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or information about executive education program offerings, please visit fisher.osu.edu.